We're still in the book of Proverbs. We've been in this book for a number of weeks now. And as we just read, we're going to be talking about the mouth. All right. So as I was working on this passage, I found a lot of useless facts. And so I want you to uh, just be blown away with me by these useless facts, or at least like give me your ear for a little while so I don't feel like I wasted my time. All right. So um, here's some facts that I found about the mouth. We have some like speech therapists and stuff in here, so I'm a little worried about saying these because I'm afraid they're going to come and tell me all of these are wrong, but that's okay. So here's, here's some realities about the mouth, all right? The first one is you open your mouth to speak 700 times per day, 700 times, all right? So here's the reality. Uh, whenever I was looking at this, when it said you open up your mouth and you use your vocal cords, it said, like, what I saw is that, and hopefully the speech therapist can back me up on this, that it takes about 100 different muscles in your body for you to produce sounds for your mouth, from your mouth. Isn't that crazy? So 700 times, 100 different muscles to even produce a sound from your mouth. That's nuts. All right, so the average person speaks about 7,000 words a day. All right? 7,000 words a day. I'm no, like, math um, major here, so do some simple math with me, all right? So imagine 7,000 words a day. If you add up a full week, that's roughly around seven or 50,000 words, right? A book of the size of 200 pages is about 50,000 words, all right? So, like, add this up with me. While you may not be published, you are drafting from your mouth about 52 small books per year, all right? That's how many times, how many words flow off of your lips. That's what is coming out of your mouth on a yearly basis. And so here's the reality about the printing press that we call our mouths, all right? You are the author, you're the editor, and the publisher, of all of these words that come from your mouth. Usually there's a lot of safety and security measures before you release a book. The people that are putting their eyes on these words that you put into a page that are making sure that it makes sense, that it's not offensive. <laughs> like there's all these different measures to make sure that it's good to go for the public. But when it comes to our mouth, it's you. And that's a whole lot of responsibility, amen? And here's what the book of Proverbs says about our words is that they deserve much attention because of the responsibility that comes with our mouth. All right, Proverbs 16, 23 says this, the heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech, all right? And so we've subtitled our series in Proverbs, Life Lived Full. And here's the reality. As you look throughout the book of Proverbs, you cannot separate a life lived full apart from a healthy mouth. It requires both. They're hand in hand when you look at a life that's lived full and a healthy mouth. And so here's what I want us to do tonight. As we just said, we're going to be looking through Proverbs chapter 18. And we're going to look at it in three different sections. And as we look at it in three different sections, we're going to discover three things about our words. All right? And here's where we're headed. Like if you're a note-taking person, this is where we're headed for the rest of the evening. All right? The first one is this. Our words are revealing. Our words are revealing, okay? Secondly, our words have consequences. Our words have consequences. And then lastly, our words are impactful, all right? So they're revealing, they have consequences, and they're impactful. So we'll close by considering how we can solve 
the thing that we call our words, our mouth, or our tongue at the very end. All right, so first let's consider how our words are revealing. We see this in Proverbs 18, verse 4, which says this. Let me just refresh your mind for a second. The words of a person's mouth are deep waters, a flowing river, and a fountain of wisdom. All right? So according to this verse, verse 4, your words are revealing. All right? Now, in this instance, the revealing that is happening is both good and positive things. All right? So deep waters is talking about this profoundness. All right? A person that is wise, their words are profound. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of meaning to them. It's revealing some of the inner workings that have taken place in their life. So far, flowing rivers throughout the Bible is a symbol of life or energy. You can look at Psalm chapter 1, and there's this stream of water that is life for a person. Um, It is a symbol of these things, and so there's a goodness that is happening here with this person and the words that are coming from its lips. You also have a fountain of wisdom, so there's deep understanding. They've looked at life. They've looked and pondered different things. There's a lot of experience that they've built up within their life that has amounted them to have deep understanding about things that are taking place. And all of this, you can tell by the words that flow off of their lips. So there's a revealing quality that comes from the words that flow off of our mouths. Now, it's also worth noting here as well that water is often connected to the human heart, which is the control center of the actual human body. If you look at the Bible, it's not the mind that's actually the controlling factor Within the human body, it's the heart. It's the place that your deep desires, your loves, your affections, your motives all take place within this control center that the Bible calls our heart. And we see this connection between mouth and heart in various places throughout the Bible. I want to give you two, all right? Here's two, all right? So the first one comes from Jesus himself. He actually uses the water imagery with the heart when he talks about a person's words. Here's what Matthew 12, 34 says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. As if your heart is this cup and the things that come into it, the stuff that flows out of your lips are the overflow of what's taking place in your heart. So Jesus gets some a bonus point here for using water imagery for our analysis here, all right? Then the second one comes from J- Jesus' brother James, all right? So James doesn't use a water analogy, so he's obviously lower than his brother Jesus. Um, but here's what he says in James chapter 1. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So look. Word and mouth are intricately connected when it comes to the Bible, all right? There's a pastor that connects the two like this. Sinclair Ferguson says this, The tongue is the hinge on which the door into our soul swings open in order to reveal our spirit. All right, so let's try to put some mental picture to this, all right? So go to a restaurant. Usually there's, as you're going into a restaurant, you see the door that swings open, right? So, and what happens behind that door in the kitchen? Like they're cooking up a lot of stuff, right? They're cooking up all the things that you place the order for. They're, they're cooking it up, they put it on the plate, and then they deliver it out through the swinging door, all right? So what Sinclair is saying is that the things that are cooking up in the kitchen in your life, 
the things that are cooking up in the kitchen of your heart, the stuff that is going to boil over and overflow are the things that the swinging door releases out of the mouth that then reveal what's actually taking place in the heart or the soul. It's intricately connected. Your words are revealing. They let you know what's actually going deep down within a person's life, heart, and soul. All right? And so since this is the case, that our words are revealing, here's what I want us to think about. All right? If our words are revealing, look, then you need to pay attention to them. You need to pay attention to the words that are coming off of your lips on a regular basis. If our words really do reveal what's taking place deep in our hearts and our souls, whether good or bad, all right? There can be things we're celebrating that are coming off of your lips, and that's, not a, that's, that's something that you should be encouraged by, something that you continue to move forward through. It should be like, man, this is a good thing that Jesus is doing in my life. I want to continue to build on this. I want to lean into this strength. But it also should serve as a, a means of caution for us when we look at our words, and if there are things that don't align with who Jesus is, if there are things that don't align with his spirit, if there are ways that we're saying things off of our lips don't match what Jesus was using in the way that he spoke whenever he walked through this world, then it should raise our attention. So I want to give you a couple of questions for you to think and work through your own words. Here's the first one. What do I talk about? I mean, just a very simple question, right? What do I talk about? Like, are there any themes that you can think of that pop up in your home or pop up in the workplace or pop up with your friend groups? What are the common themes? Because here's, here's why you want to pay attention to that. It can show you what's really important in your life. It can show you what you really value. If the words are revealing, as 18.4 suggests, then we ought to pay attention because it might show us what we truly love in this world. And look, if it's things that are not worth our time or what the Bible says are actually destructive for our life, it should raise our interest. It should pique our eyes to look and assess and process. Second one, what's my tone? So not only should you pay attention to the actual content of your words that are flowing off of your mouth, but you should also pay attention to the tone, right? So here's like an either or. Are my words harsh or are they gentle? Here's, here's why this is important. It can reveal kind of the state of your soul right now. You know what I'm saying? So you can, you can say something that might be good, but the tone doesn't match the words that are being spoken. You know what I'm saying? See this a lot with your kids, right? <laughs> you can say something, but you have like gritted teeth as you're saying it through. Uh, or frustration with a roommate or a spouse. I mean, there's ways that we speak things that our tone doesn't quite match the words that are coming off of our lips, and it should, pay, it should be something worth causing you to stop and think and pay attention because it reveals, it reveals your heart. So look, Proverbs 18.4 shows us that our words are revealing, so we keep going. It means that there's something that's worth paying attention to, but verses 6 and 7 show us something else about our words. And the second thing that it shows us is that our words have consequences. So I want to look at 6 and 7, also verse 20. Here's what they say. A fool's lips lead to strife, and his mouth provokes a beating. 
A fool's mouth is his devastation, and his lips are a trap for his life. So there's your blessing for the day. Amen. Verse 20 says this. From the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He's filled with the product of his lips. So here's why I have 6 and 7 and 20 together, because I think you see a contrast here. All right? So verses 6 and 7, you see a fool's words lead to ruin. That's why he, the author uses strife, beating, devastation, and trap in just a matter of two verses in speaking about the fool's words. But in verse 20, you see the contrast of that. The words of the wise or the righteous, they bring about good things. That's why you see the words satisfied and filled There are ways that you can speak in a good, encouraging way that actually brings abundance in your life that you see in verse 20. So Proverbs relates our words almost like in this farming sense, right? So if you think about the fool's lips lead to strife, a mouth provokes a beating, a fool's mouth is his devastation, his lips are a trap for his life. You see the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied, he's filled with a product. It's like your words, like your mouth is this fertilizer spreader, right? And everywhere that you go, it's like you, it's your farming grounds, all right? So you got the fertilizer spreader here. Everybody see this? I remember this from like whenever I was really little. It was always in our garage, and my brother and I would always pile rocks in it. <laughs> we had no idea what it was for. Now I know the, the importance of it. Um, but it's like if you think about your life and you think about the places that you inhabit, it's like if you had a fertilizer spreader and you're taking it throughout every place that you go in your life that you inhabit, your mouth is like like the fertilizer spreader, and it's casting seed wherever you go. And what these two proverbs are saying is that, look, you're going to reap the harvest of what you're sowing with your words in the places that you inhabit. There's going to be a way that you speak in your workplace, in your home, as well as friend groups, any place that you go, any places that are a common place for you to go and be, There's a way that you're casting some sort of seed wherever you go, and there's going to be a reaping of that harvest. There's going to be consequence that comes about in your life, right? And so, look, I think every single one of us can probably think about two pictures or people that are in our life, people that their words have led to ruin, and then people that their words have have led to good things in their life. I think about two people, particularly in my childhood. I won't say their names, um, but here's... Here's kind of the reality. I had a childhood friend that he was always running his mouth, all right? So here's, here's a little mental picture for you. All right, I, we, I lived in Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City, and we had this place called Whitewater Bay, all right? So this big, like, water park that's in the middle of the city, all right? So we would go to Whitewater in the summer, and my friend would run his mouth with people that were older than us, right? We'd go to Whitewater, and there was a time that I remember he was, there's two guys much bigger than us, and this guy started running his mouth with him. He runs off into the wave pool, and the two guys run him down and start trying to, like, tackle him and beat him up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I, why am I hanging around with this person? If I look at his life right now, guys, he's, his words have not changed. Like, his words have constantly led, got, led him down bad paths. Um, friend groups, uh, things that he's gotten into, like, he, he's never controlled his tongue. To this day, he is in his late 30s. He's still living with his parents. (laughs) 
He is actually battling like for his life because of the destruction that's happened, things that he's participated in that's wrecked his body. So that's one end, like literally the words that have spilled off of his mouth, the way that it's been revealing of him has led to ruin in his life. The second one, second childhood friend, was a constant encourager. The words were constantly coming off his lips, building people up rather than tearing down. He was thoughtful about his words. He was never just, words weren't just constantly flowing off of his lips. He was thoughtful and he was calculated. Um, I can remember a particular instance. We had moved away. I'd come back. Um, They had a church league basketball team. I went and I went to practice with them. And while we were there, there was just constant encouragement. And it was always because of the leadership that was coming from this particular kid. I mean, you're talking like middle school school and this were the words that are coming off this guy's lips encouraging the team building them up like there's constant encouragement I can look at his life now he's he's not like in ministry he's working for the ringer uh for like this basketball like uh sports like thing and uh he's doing really well like he's in California he has a, a beautiful family like he's continued to walk with the Lord like the words that come off of his lips they've led to good things in his life And look, the reality is you can probably think about people in your life too. People that have their words have led to their ruin. People that their words have led to good things. The same is true for you too. The same is true for you too. All right? If you find that your home is constantly filled with contention, it may be because you're reaping what you've sown with your words. If you find that your work environment is constantly difficult for you, it doesn't matter what job you have, every place you go, the office always feels challenging and difficult. It might be because the root issue is your tongue. If you find that regularly a challenge for you is making or keeping friends, it may be because you're eating the fruit of your words. You reap the consequences of the words that you sow in all the places that you inhabit in life. So look, our words bear consequences on our lives. And so here's the application I want you to think through with me. So use them sensibly. Use them thoughtfully. Use your words carefully. Be the wise person that suppresses the tongue thinks about what you say before you release it, rather than being the fool that words are plenty and there's always sin and strife around you. So here's a couple of ways. Here's a couple of questions for you that you can think about this, given careful thought and attention. First one is this. You can ask yourself, do I have a loose or tight lips? Are my lips loose or tight? Like how strong is your filter? All right, so think about a person that's loose-lipped, all right? Somebody that just is always speaking in their mind and there's never a filter. You're always walking around on eggshells with those people, aren't you? There's always a caution to you whenever you're around these people. You don't trust to say things around them because you know that they're going to be spouted out wherever they go. Now, the question you have to wrestle with is, are you that person? Is that you? Because look, If that's you, your words have consequences. You're going to reap what you sow. So now's the time to stop, reflect, think, maybe even ask some friends, 
Am I this person? I know I talk a lot. Am I this person? And allow your, the words that come back to you to actually think on them, to reflect on them, and take them to heart. The second question is this. Am I approachable or am I combative? This is really like a, another question. Like how are people experiencing me? Am I somebody that you can come and you can talk with and it's easy, like you get to, rather than a have to, Right? So these people, the people that are combative, they're the ones that you are just, you feel dread to go and talk to them. You know what I'm saying? You have those people in your life? Like there's a dread? Like I don't want to go talk to the, this person because I know it's always going to end up in an argument. It always feels like there's a battle of words and there's always trying to win an argument or at least make an argument for them to win. It's almost as if they can't talk unless you get in a fight. And it's like, there's, you're, as soon as the fight begins, it's almost like the conversation starts for them. Like, look, that's a hard person to talk with. If you're a combative person rather than an approachable person, it is going to be challenging for you in this life, especially when it comes to relationships. And so look, you got to be honest with yourself you got to look at the person that's in the mirror and use the Bible to look at the words that the Bible has to say about how we use our words. Take an honest look at the reflection in the mirror and say, is this me? Is this me? Because your words have consequences. The third one is this. Am I easy or am I difficult to please? And here's what I'm getting at with this. Essentially, I'm asking, are you a complainer? Are you a complainer? If you're difficult to please, then you can constantly find the difficulties and the challenges and the things that are always falling below the mark that you have up here, and they always seem to fall down here, and then you let people know with your words. Here's the reality, okay? The people that are complainers, they're kind of like Pigpen from Charlie Brown, you know what I'm saying? Like they have the dust cloud that's always around them. They all, you can always tell when they're coming. Complainer, you can always tell when they're coming because you always know that they're going to find something that falls short that they can express with their words, and they're always the Debbie Downer of the conversation. So look, are you difficult to please? Are you easy to please? Are you a complainer? Our words, they're revealing so we need to pay attention to them. Our words, they have consequences. So look, we need to be sensible in the way that we use them. And the last thing that we see in verse 21 is that our words are impactful. Verse 21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That is a profound statement. And those who love it will eat its fruit. All right, so by now, here's my hope for us, all right? I hope that you're getting the sense of the power of words, right? So if your words, the words that come off of your lips are revealing, like that's powerful, right? Something that allows you to gaze into a person's soul, words carry a lot of significance to them. If your words bear consequence on your life, they lead to ruin or they lead to good things in your life, that's a lot of power, and verse 21 reiterates the power of this in that your words are impactful on people to the point, look, that the Bible says that they produce death or life. But that's, that's some strong power that come with your words, all right? 
So it's almost as if our words are like medicine. All right? If you use medicine in the wrong way, what happens? Death. Death happens. But whenever you use medicine correctly, what happens to your life? It produces healing and it produces life. And that's what verse 21 is saying. So look, at this point, like, feels kind of weighty, doesn't it? Words feel pretty weighty. Now, here may, here, like, you may be wrestling internally with this, and you may be thinking, well, I'm just not going to open my mouth at all, right? <laughs> like, I'm just going to have my mouth closed. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm gonna just going to go like the Buddhist monk idea, and I'm just going to remain silent so I never portray anything bad to anybody, and it's not going to be like, look, that's not the right application for us to make. It's not the right application to make. Look, don't withhold your words due to fear. Don't withhold your words due to fear, all right? So, like, we think about this, maybe the most common place that you kind of have this mentality is like, I don't want to give somebody encouragement because I don't want to lead them to pride. Look, that's that's dumb. (laughs) That's dumb. Okay, here's the reality. Here's who we are as creatures, all right? Your words are necessary, and we are word-hungry creatures. We are. Whenever words are lacking, we wilt as human beings. You need the words from other people. You do. It's part of how God has wired you. You need to have people that are speaking into your life. You need things that are coming from those that know you well. You need the words of other people. So look, the wrong application is I'm just going to close my mouth. I'm never going to talk. I'm going to go to the Buddhist monk. No, that's not what it is. Because look, on the upper opposite side of this, if you're only thinking about death, the opposite side is your words can produce life. Your words can produce meaning. Your words can build somebody up. Your words may be the thing that keeps someone going for the day. Your words may be the, the assurance, the affirmation that they need for the things that are going well in their life. Your words, they matter and they're necessary. So look, I had a number of like, ways that I read this week that um, words can lead to death. Um, I think we can easily go there, all right? Like, I'm talking like gross, grotesque things. Um, I want to give you a positive one, all right? I want to give us a positive one that hopefully encourages us to use our words in a way that builds up, all right? So here, it, it comes from a book that I'm reading called The Intentional Fathers by John Tyson. And so here's the essence of what he's doing, all right? So he's, he's making the argument that for you to be a good father, you have to deal with your childhood issues, all right? You have to think about your upbringing. You have to think about your parents and the way that you were risen in this world, what your home looked like. And here's what he's saying. Whenever you become a real adult is whenever you finally like, dealt with those things and you finally see your parents for real people. There's a way that our, our woundedness from our homes can kind of lower our parents in our minds. But he's saying if you actually grow up and you deal with it, then you can actually look at them and you can see what they've gone through. You can see where they've come from, and you can kind of finally realize that they did the best that they could. You know what I'm saying? And so here's what he said whenever he came to this realization. He had his own boy himself, and so he tried to step into, like, this being an adult. And so here's what he said. Here, he wrote a, a note to his dad, and here's what he said in this note. Hey, Dad, at this point in your life, now that I'm a man and raising my own son, you're probably wondering what I think of you. That's, if you're a dad, like, this is automatically, oh my 
gosh, what am I about to read? You're probably looking back over your role as a father with moments of pride and moments of regret. And I just wanted to let you know, here are some of the things you got right. Thank you for these things. And so he went on and he wrote some of the things that his dad did well in his life. And so he gave his dad this letter. His parents are from Australia. He lives in New York. And so he gave his dad this letter. His dad gets on the airplane, reads it. And then he gets a phone call from his mom after his parents get back to Australia. And his mom, over the phone call, says, what did you write to your father? What in the world was in this letter? And his immediate response is, oh, my gosh, did I offend him somehow? Like, what, was, what happened? Like, can you kind of give me some insight? And here's what his mom said. It's going to be on the screen. No, something profound happened in your father's heart. He sat on the plane weeping while he read your letter. Look at this. He was so happy about it. Thank you for doing that for him. The rest of the book kind of goes on that his dad's, like, the demeanor in his life, in the home, with his mom, in regular day-to-day rhythms, look completely different. You know why? Because your words can lead to life. So look, our words are impactful. They have incredible power to them. So here's the application for you. Let's be a people that use our words beneficially. If they're powerful and they can lead to death or life, may this be a moment that we stop and we consider the power of our words and let's be the people that use them beneficially in our workplace, in your, your home with your housemates, with your spouse, with your kids, your friends groups. Like, let's be the people that use our words beneficially in the way that we speak into other people's lives. So here's a couple of questions for us to consider this, all right? So the first one is this. What's an encouragement I've been holding on to? Like, look, every single one of us can look into a relationship and we can think about ways that other people have been a blessing to us, but maybe we haven't verbalized it with our mouth. What's an encouragement that you've been holding on to and who's the person that needs to hear it? Like, if there's one step that you can take from this entire sermon is this. Go and find somebody that you can encourage. Use your words to bring life to a person. The second one is this. When you need to say something difficult, which we're all going to need to say something difficult to a friend at some point, here's a way that you can think about doing that. How can I say this redemptively and not destructively? How can I say this redemptively and not destructively? Look, when we say, like, we're all going to come to a point in relationships where we have to say something that's hard and challenging. The question that we need to process through that with is, how can I present this in a redeeming quality rather than a quality that's just going to completely strip them down? The goal for saying something that's challenging and difficult is always to help them progress towards Jesus, not to bury them down in the ground. So even whenever we are thinking about saying something difficult, we need to wrestle with how can I use my words beneficially? How can I be a surgeon and make the smallest cut that I can that will bring healing to this person rather than coming at it with a sledgehammer and you're just going to beat the person down with your words? Your words are powerful. Our words have impact on people that produce death or life. So let's be a people that use them beneficially, all right? So 
If you're like me at this point, you're probably wrestling with, well, how do I heal my mouth, right? And every single of, of every one of these instances that we've done, that our hearts are revealing, that words have consequences, that our words are impactful, I am prone to think about how destructive my words have been, which means like there's something that needs to change about my mouth, all right? And if I were to leave you right now, I've given you questions that help you consider your words, hopefully even make, your, make some progress in the way that you are speaking more uh, life-giving instead of um, producing death in someone's life, but we haven't discussed how our mouth can ultimately be healed, all right? Our word problems stem, stem from heart problems, as we've already said. Now, here's the reality, all right? The words of the gospel tell us a story that drills down to our heart and that ultimately changes us, not just our heart, but also our mouth, all right? And there's two particular stories that I think we need to wrestle with that give us a picture for what this looks like, all right? So there's two different scenes that you see throughout the Bible. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament. The first story takes place at the Tower of Babel. Everybody heard of the story of the Tower of Babel? All right, so here's what happens. It's kind of in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, all right? So Tower of Babel, you have the nations that collaborate together. They come to this place called Babel, and they're trying to build a tower to prove that they don't need God. And so as they're constructing this tower, what ends up happening is that you see their, their words are disordered, right? You have multiple languages that spur out. God intervenes in the work that they are, they are producing with their hands. You can see a visual picture about how the sin that has inflicted their hearts is now outwardly expressed through their mouth. There's disorder because of the there's, dismor- there's disorder with their mouth because of the disorder that has taken place in their heart. So fast forward, all right? Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, you get the second story where you have the story of Pentecost that happens, all right? So here's the setting, here's what's taking place. At Pentecost, Jesus has died, he's also been resurrected, and he's gone to be with the Father, seated at his right hand. He's ascended to heaven, all right? And so you have this following of about 200 people. There's this massive celebration called Pentecost that people from all over the world, they travel to Jerusalem, and so you see many different languages that are represented. And as they're there, and the people of God, these 200 people are praying. They have this prayer meeting that's taking place. They're praying to God. And what happens at Pentecost, you see the Holy Spirit fall down on his people, and there's little flames that are residing above the people of God. And what happens is you see the disordered languages become ordered as the Holy Spirit falls upon them, right? Here's a picture of what's happening. A picture that happens at Pentecost is the disorder of people's hearts is actually brought to order and you see it affect their mouth. You see the change? There's a big reversal that's taking place here. The disorder of the heart at Babel affects the mouth, and it makes the disorder of the mouth. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and it falls upon God's people, and the disorder of the mouth is now ordered because the disorder of the heart has now been brought to order. See the difference? Here's what happens, all right? The Holy Spirit falls down, and in Ezekiel 36, you see that there's a promise that's actually come to reality. And the promise is that the Spirit of God would actually come down on his people and reside in his people. And it would take out a heart of death and turn it to a heart of life. Here's the way that Romans chapter 5 says the Holy Spirit coming down on the people of God. He puts it like this. God's love has been poured out in our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These 200 people, what happens after the Holy Spirit falls on them? The crowds are asking, what happened? Why can we understand the language that's coming from your lips? Peter stands up and he basically just spills his guts on the goodness and the love of God that's been poured out on us in Jesus Christ. And so the people's response is, well, then what do we have to do? And Peter ultimately says is that you turn to Jesus. You turn your life to Jesus. It's not a matter of three steps that you come and you clean up your life and then you can come to God and he'll finally accept you. That's not what Peter says. Peter says, no, you come with your dirty, broken, disordered heart to your God and the Holy Spirit is his gift to you. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is that God's love is poured out on your life. And look, the result is that your mouth is changed. The disorder of your heart is changed and it's healed to now you have a ordered heart because of the work of Christ that's in your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit and it works out in your mouth. So look, the control story or the control word of your mouth, of your life, is no longer guilt, the things that you've said. You no longer have to beat yourself up whenever you come to Jesus and you turn to Jesus. It's not the defining word of your life anymore. It's no longer shame. The words that have been said to you that have beaten you down, that have killed you and destroyed you and led to your death, that's no longer your control word of your life either. The control word of your life now is grace. The control word of your life is grace, and there's an acronym that I'll have up on the screen, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, because here's the good news for you, all right? The, the, at the creation account, we see the words of God, are they beget life in this world. Everything that has life was brought about by the existence of God's word, and the same thing happens in your life when you turn to Jesus, Whenever you turn to Jesus, he speaks a word of life to you, and we see that word of life at Jesus' baptism. It's the affirmation that defined his whole entire life and ministry. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and what did the Father say as he tore open the heavens? You are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. So look, whenever you come to Jesus, you trust in Jesus, the Bible tells us that he's now our elder brother, which means you've been brought into the family of God. And what grace is, God's riches at, at Christ's expense, means that he has shared his life with you, not because you've earned it or deserved it, because he gives it freely to you at Christ's expense. What this means is Jesus takes all the bad words that you've said out of your mouth, and he gives you all of his good words. He gives you his perfect heart in exchange for your bad heart. And the result of it is that you now have this power of the Holy Spirit. We see in Galatians chapter 5 that you have the fruits of the Spirit. And there are things that affect our mouth. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All these things speak to your mouth. So look, if you want to be a people that live a full life, you have to have a healthy mouth. How do you get a healthy mouth? You need a healed heart. Look, every single one of us need a personal Pentecost in our life. 
We need a time where we turn to Jesus. The gift of Holy Spirit comes into our life and it deals with our disordered hearts so it can also deal with our disordered mouths. Through Jesus, God changes the control word of your life from some of us it may be guilt, from some of us it may be shame, to all of us, grace. Look, turn to Jesus. He's the one that can heal your heart. Through your healed heart, it affects and changes your mouth. To the revelation of your words, it now shows the springs of life. To the consequences, it's not death, but it's, or it's not ruin, but it's good things. And the impact, it's not death, but it's life. Let's be a people that think about our words, that we use them beneficially because of what the work of God has done in our life. Let's pray.